All right, the, uh, the last time I preached was about a year ago. Uh, I think it was the week before the COVID shutdown. Does anybody remember what I preached on? I didn't think so. Anxiety. <laughs> I spoke on anxiety right before we went into the COVID thing. Uh, I guess the Lord uh, saw fit to throw us into a test right after that uh, sermon. So uh, how'd you do? <laughs> Me? Eh. Well, today we're going to talk about getting real. I guess we'll see if the Lord tests us after this sermon as well. I hope not, but we'll see. All right, about five years ago, I started something that I find really interesting. At the end of the year, uh, I think back and make a top 10 list for that year of my life. The list can include anything that I experienced that is noteworthy. Noteworthy. In other words, something worth making a note about. It can be something good or bad. I usually go back through my calendar looking for what to put on my list. Uh, might have been a vacation, a doctor's appointment, a meeting, a book I read, a fishing trip, the birth of a child, the death of a loved one, whatever. It's a record of my highlights and lowlights for the year. For instance, in 2016, I bought a small boat to take the grandchildren fishing. That, of course, was a highlight. But it was also the year Liz was diagnosed with osteoporosis, and we started the regimen of daily injections of Forteo. That, of course, was a lowlight. Well, I want to remember the highlights and the lowlights of each year, and since my memory is so bad, I, I write them down. This is my list for 2020, all right, my top 10 list. Actually, I usually have trouble stopping at 10, so I think there's 16 on here. But uh, the, the stuff in yellow, that's the bad stuff, all right? And uh, this year's list had more yellow on it than, uh, than other years. Well, um, to get us started on today's message, I'd like each of you right now to think back over last year, 2020, and identify at least one highlight and one lowlight. If you are using the sermon notes, there's a place on there uh, to write them down. Now, I want you to be specific. You can't just list COVID. Everybody's going to list that. You've got to be more specific. If you are going to list COVID, uh, what about it was so bad or so good? Was it the free time at home that you gained? Uh, was it not being able to, to come here for worship for three and a half months? Was it that you weren't able to have an elective surgery that you needed? Was it not being allowed to visit your grandmother in the nursing home? Be specific. Okay, while you're thinking, I'll give you a, a couple from the, from the top of my list. Number one, was when Liz fell off a hoverboard and broke her wrist on Christmas Day. That, of course, was a low light. For a highlight, believe it or not, it's COVID-related. During the time that Keystone could not meet in person on Sunday mornings, we had Zoom prayer meetings. We had 50 to 60 people praying together in four different Zoom prayer meetings every Sunday before the online worship services. I loved that. Certainly a highlight for me. 
Well, what about you? Are you getting something in your mind or writing it down on the paper? I hope so. All right, but why am I asking you to do this? Where are we going with it? Well, I want you to think about your low light for 2020, especially if it was something really difficult for you. Did you share that burden with anyone? I mean really share it. Really open up with others about your feelings. And did you pour your heart out to God about it? Well, here's where I'm going. My sermon title is Let's Get Real. You see, for a lot of different reasons, many of us are hesitant to talk about our feelings. Sometimes we don't get real with each other, and sometimes we don't get real with God. For those of you who know me well, you know that I, uh, that I really push authenticity. Uh, I lead our care group ministry, and I use CARE, C-A-R-E, as an acronym. Uh, these are the intentions of our care groups. C is for community, A is for authenticity, R is for relationships, and E is for encouragement. Authenticity is what we're talking about in this sermon. Earlier this month, as I was training two couples to be care group shepherds, uh, we were reading from the shepherd handbook, and I had to chuckle when I read the part about authenticity. Uh, it says, for the groups to be more effective, its members need to be real with one another. In the care group setting, the masks are removed. <laughs> I wrote this way before COVID was a thing. Uh, obviously, I was not talking about face coverings. I was talking about the masks, uh, figuratively, that we sometimes put on when we don't want people to see what's, what's underneath that mask. My hope in this message is to convince you that it's important to get real with each other and with God. And not just that it's beneficial for us, but that it's biblical. So here's how I'm going to try to convince you. We're um, going to first talk about getting real with others. Uh, we're going to look at Paul as an example of that. Then we're going to um, look at why he and we should get real. And, and we're, then we're going to discuss why we resist getting real. Then we're going to transition into getting real with God, and we're going to learn about laments. Uh, we're going to look at, at an example of, uh, of a lament in the Psalms, and then we're going to learn to write our own lament. We're going to start with our main text in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. So you can turn there if you'd like, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 3. Uh, but before I read it, how about if we pray? Heavenly Father, uh, I believe that being real with one another, at least a few people, is what you call us to do. Um, we believe that the Christian life can't be all that it should be if we keep things bottled up inside of us and, and are shy and resistant to opening up to others. And uh, so I pray as we talk about that today, um, you will help us to be able to, to move in that direction. And Father, we also know it's really important to talk to you and not just surface prayers where we're praying about uh, the weather. Uh, we want to pray 
deep from our heart. We want to open up. We want to get transparent with you. You can see in there anyway, and so I pray that we would, we would speak it or, or write it down, that we would pour our hearts out to you in a very real way. Uh, so I pray that you would speak through me uh, this morning uh, into not just the ears of everyone listening, but uh, into their hearts. May we leave here different. May we leave here transformed uh, by your work. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Verse 8, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he's not sugarcoating a thing. Before getting very far into the letter at all, Paul gets real. Uh, he wrote, let me, let me pick up verse 8 again. We think you ought to know. We think you ought to know. He's telling them they need to know this. Dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. He is being totally transparent. And we see it in other parts of the letter as well. Chapter 6, verse 4 says, We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Chapter 7, verse 5, When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Paul admitted that he had fear on the inside. Paul was not only sharing what was going on, he was sharing how it made them feel. Paul got real. He got real, real, didn't he? You've probably heard the expression, uh, putting your cards on the table. It come, comes from the game poker, uh, when at the end of a hand, the winner has to put his cards face up for all the players to see. Often when I meet with someone for counseling, I ask them this question. How transparent, how authentic can you be? If a deck of 52 cards represents what is going on in your life right now, how many of the 52 
can you put on the table for me? I've gotten lots of different answers uh, from, from a low of 10 to a high of 52. Well, I can tell you that the higher that number, the better the chances are that I can help them. If I don't know what is really going on with someone, it's like having one hand tied behind my back. It's, it's the same in any relationship, whether we're talking husband-wife, parent-child, doctor-patient, accountability relationships, the flourish mentoring pairings, care group relationships, any close relationship. Now, we don't have to be transparent and vulnerable with everyone, but there are definitely relationships where we should be putting all our cards on the table. As I read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I believe he was putting all 52 cards face up. Why did Paul do this? And why should we do it? There are a ton of reasons. I'm going to suggest 10, but this is not an exhaustive list. So let's look through the the 10 that I came up with. Number one, to get comfort and encouragement from others. Verses three through seven show us that at least some of the hardships we experience are so that we can help others when they go through hardships. Probably most of you have personally experienced God's comfort in the midst of a hardship. We can share that comfort when someone comes to us with their hardship. I remember a couple coming to me uh, after getting through a very difficult infidelity situation. Um, They offered to meet with other couples who may be struggling with their own marital troubles. That's awesome. But it only works if a struggling couple is willing to come up and ask for help. All right, number two, to share the weight of our troubles. Verse six says that, even when we are weighed down with troubles. I I remember a guy coming to me uh, on a Sunday morning right out in the lobby, pouring his his heart out to me. And I'm trying to to actively listen to him and understand uh, what's going on. After a bit, he stops and says, thank you so much, Charlie. I feel so much better. I hadn't offered any advice. I hadn't even prayed with him at that point. He felt better just because he was no longer carrying that burden by himself. Number three, direction to God. Verse three says God is the source of all comfort. In verse nine, Paul testifies that they stopped relying on themselves but learned to rely on God. Hopefully when we open up with someone, at least part of their reaction will be to direct us to God. Number four, prayer. Uh, Verse 11, Paul writes, you are helping us by praying for us. Paul spilled his guts to them, at least in part, so that they could continue to pray for them. Number five, for God's glory. The second half of verse 11 then says, then, my, then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. There are two ways here that, God's, that God gets glory. Uh, first, just the fact that we are going to him for prayer shows our dependence on him, and that brings him glory. And second, uh, when people see or hear about God's answers to prayer, that brings him glory. All right, number six to be reminded of God's past faithfulness to us. 
Verse 10 says, he did rescue us. There's past tense. He did rescue us from mortal, from mortal danger and he will rescue us again, future tense. Shows us uh, his faithfulness. Uh, when, when we meet with somebody, hopefully they'll remind us of God's faithfulness. Number seven, for biblical advice, uh, and that may even include a rebuke or an exhortation. There are times when, when we are blind to our own sin. We should be real with at least one or two people to allow them to speak into our lives. That sets the stage for Hebrews 3.13 that says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. A relationship in which you will allow someone to speak into your life can be a huge tool for your spiritual growth. So I encourage you to do that. Number eight, to build relationships and resolve conflict. I have counseling situations in, in which family members are not opening up to each other. Uh, they don't know how the other one really feels. Being transparent, being vulnerable, opens the door for clearing up misunderstandings, for confession, for repentance, and hopefully forgiveness. Number nine, to help others see that no one is perfect. Facebook has caused so much envy as we see others' posts that make it look like other people's lives are perfect. If we get real uh, with one another, we will all see that we're not the only ones with messed up lives. I remember a number of years ago, my son Jeremy's family sent out uh, Christmas cards that had the, the typical family photo on the front with everyone smiling, but on the back, it had photos of what the photo shoot really looked like. Major meltdowns. And I think the kids might have even been crying. <laughs> Number 10, to get practical help. Our compassion ministries team, formerly called the Diaconate, is incredible. They minister in so many ways. Meals, helping other people, mowing yards, shoveling snow, transportation, financial help, lots of different things. But if people don't open up with someone and let them know of their struggles, the help may not happen simply because of ignorance. If that happens, although the help is available, the need may not get connected with the resource. Okay, that was 10. As you can see, lots of reasons to get real. Then why don't we? I have 10 reasons for this list as well. I think I like top 10 lists. Um, so uh, this is, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but, it, uh, but I had to stop somewhere. So here we go. Number one, shame. Maybe there's a sinful temptation or even a sinful act in our lives that we are ashamed to share with others. There's one main answer for that, the gospel. Christ has already paid the price for our sins, no matter what they are. His blood removes all shame. Number two, embarrassment. Maybe we're afraid of saying something stupid. Uh, so we just stay silent. Let me get real with you. This is embarrassing, but I'm, but I'm pushing myself to be real. 
For the last five months, we have been vetting applicants for the preaching pastor position. Part of that vetting process was watching and critiquing their sermons. I think I may have watched at least parts of a hundred sermons, and many of them the entire sermon. I'm looking for weaknesses. All of us that were, that were watching these sermons were looking for weaknesses. As I did that, I recognized some weaknesses in their sermons that reminded me of me. We have three very gifted preachers here at Keystone, in Keith, Brandon, and Kyle. Uh, I looked at how good they are and what I saw in myself, um, what, what I saw in myself and some of the preaching pastor applicants. Comparison is usually not a good thing. But at one point, I decided I'm done. I have other areas of ministry that I think I'm more gifted at, so I'll just never preach again. So when I told Keith and Brandon that I'm done with preaching, let's just say they were less than empathetic. (laughs) They told me to get up here and preach. So here I am. Uh, And you know what? I'm glad they did. I I needed to be pushed. But that ties into the, to the next reason. Number three, fear of man, or commonly called people-pleasing. It's when we have more concern for what people think than what God thinks. Many of us struggle with this, at least to some degree. The solution is knowing that our value and worth comes from being united with Christ, not from what we think others think about us. All right, number four, pride. Oh, man. Kyle's sermon last week hit me hard. If pride keeps you from being real, just go back and listen to that sermon again. Number five, this is a big one, especially in Lancaster County, stoicism. It's not a word we use every day, so I looked, at, so I looked up the definition. To be stoic means that you are not affected by or showing passion or feeling especially firmly restraining response to pain or distress. I remember years ago when I managed the Hinkletown branch of Walter and Jackson, uh, one of the mill mill workers and I were um, uh, changing the knives on a molder. The The mill worker was trying to loosen one of the bolts holding a planer head knife in place when the wrench slipped and his hand went down hard on the knife. As the planer head changed colors, I realized he was, he was cut pretty bad. But looking at his face, I would have never known. I suggested that we stop and attend to his wound and he stoically said, no, we've got a job to finish. This guy was one of the most stoic men I ever met. The problem is that in Lancaster County, that toughness, that holding in of emotions is considered a strength. This is the way many people uh, in this area were brought up. Keep a stiff upper lip and don't complain. Consequently, it's very hard for some people to get real. I get that. I see that. But if that's you, I kindly encourage you to overcome it. 
It's not good to keep feelings bottled up inside. All right, number six. Isn't it a sign of weak faith to get real, to complain? Doesn't James 1, 2 say, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy? So if we complain, isn't that a sign of not trusting God? No. God was not expecting Liz to cheer for joy as she looked at her twisted wrist from hitting the concrete garage floor so hard. Instead, we are to understand and appreciate that out of our hardships, we will grow, future tense. In the James passage, if we read just the next two verses, it says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's awesome. And I do have a very positive view of suffering. I actually think that suffering is a good thing. But if we cry or complain in the middle of a struggle, it doesn't mean that we have weak faith. Number seven, I just don't want to be a burden to others. That sounds really noble and the solution to being self-centered. But the Lord created the church to care for one another. If we don't know what care is needed, we're going to be a dysfunctional church. So please, don't keep your burdens to yourselves. Number eight, isn't it self-centered to talk about myself? I think this one is actually legitimate and a a tricky concern. I've seen this error go both ways. Sometimes people do talk about themselves too much. But in my experience, I've seen the opposite happen more often that people are too unwilling to share their own struggles. They will easily talk about the struggles of others, but not about their own struggles, especially if that struggle is a sinful one. Number nine, it's just my personality to be quiet. I understand that. But knowing the value of getting real that we've just been talking about, my hope is that we will push ourselves out of our shyness. Number 10, maybe others weren't that helpful in the past. Maybe they were even harmful when we opened up with them. Maybe the person you shared with broke a confidentiality. Maybe they made fun of you. Maybe they they didn't say anything at all and just looked at you in disbelief. Let me say this. If you were the one doing a poor job of listening and empathizing, go to that person and apologize and do a better job next time. And if you were the one that got real and vulnerable and didn't get the comfort you were looking for, don't give up. If need be, find someone else who may be better and a more compassionate listener. Okay, hopefully you've recognized some reasons why you may be hesitant to get real with others and will work to overcome them. But what is even more important than getting real with others is getting real with God, and that's where we're going now. 
at the Gospel Coalition Conference back in 2019, uh, I heard a guy by the name of Mark Rogop speak on a book he wrote uh, called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. He and his wife uh, experienced the loss of a full-term baby at birth, and he learned the long-lost art of lament while grieving their loss. And then he wrote a book about it. And he taught about it at a workshop at the conference. It was really beneficial to me, and I want to pass it on to you. All right. What is a lament? I would say it's just getting real with God. Just getting real with God. Mark would say it's the heartfelt and honest talking to God through the struggles of life. He also says it's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. I have found the use of laments to be very helpful in situations where suffering is is ongoing, like the death of a loved one, a chronic illness, a broken relationship, loss of employment, a disability, things like that. There are a lot of laments in the Bible. About one-third of the Psalms are actually laments. Even Jesus lamented on on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? My goal is not just to teach you about reading and identifying laments, but to teach you how to write your own lament. Rogop has identified a pattern that many of the laments follow, not all of them, but many of them. And I find that pattern is helpful, especially when we try to write our own. So I want to give you the pattern. Here it is. Uh, start, first step is turn to prayer. Uh, this is turning to the one who can really do something about your problem. Then after that, what are, we, what are we going to do? We're going to bring our complaints. We're going to complain. Uh, here's where we get real. We can bluntly take to God our questions, our fears, our frustrations. We can talk about the situation itself and the emotions that are connected to it. Then after that, we're going to ask boldly. This part flows naturally out of our complaints. Here we ask God to deliver us from whatever is troubling us. And then the last part, choose to trust. Remember our definition of lament, a prayer in pain that leads to trust. This is really important. If we ended our prayer before getting to this step, we would be left in despair and hopelessness. Choose to trust. All right, we're going to to look at Psalm 13 as an example. And as I read it, look for the four parts. Psalm 13, you can turn there if you want, or you can just follow on the screen. Look for the four parts. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle in my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good for me. Did you see the four parts? The first two words... That's the, that's the turn to prayer. Just, just two words, O oh Lord. 
He, he's gone to, the, to, the, to God, the one who can make a difference, okay? So, so that's how it starts, the turn to prayer, oh, Lord. And then all of verses 1 and 2, he, he's, he's bringing his complaints. David's patience is running out. He asks four times how long must he wait. And then verses 3 and 4 is where he, where he asks boldly. Here David asks for God to answer him, to defeat his enemies, to save him from death. As he talks about potentially dying, it reminds me of Paul's fear of dying that we just read in 2 Corinthians. Are you seeing how David got real with God? All right, last step, verses 5 and 6, choose to trust. Now, I imagine at the instant of writing this psalm, David is suffering through something that really has him distressed, even to the point of death. We don't know what it was, but it apparently was something significant. But notice the future tense in these last two verses. He says, I will rejoice. He may not have been rejoicing right at that moment, okay, but he says, I will rejoice. I will sing. This reinforces what we were saying about James 1. Uh, the, the joy may not come in the middle of the suffering, but it should eventually come. James, Paul, and David are confident of, of that. We should be confident of that. So choose to trust. As we attempt to write our own laments, which I truly hope many of us do, uh, I'll give a word of caution. At the conference, I asked Rogop if, it, if it's possible to cross the line in what we speak or, or write to God. Could we, in fact, be sinning depending on how we pray to him? Um, as I look at many of the Psalms, I see the Psalms getting pretty bold, pretty blunt. Um, Rogop was somewhat vague on his answer, and, and I'm admittedly going to be somewhat vague to you. But he suggested that we should uh, avoid being self-centered. Don't be self-centered in your prayer. Uh, don't be demanding, and don't be prideful in our prayers. And that it's paramount that our laments end in choosing to trust him. Writing a lament is not that difficult. It's really just a prayer. So I've chosen a struggle that I have uh, regarding COVID and written a lament on it. As I read it, I'm going to separate the four parts uh, just so you can see the, uh, the four parts for clarification. Uh, but I'm not actually praying this prayer right now. So don't bow your heads and, and treat it as a prayer. Uh, uh, Treat it as a teaching exercise. Just listen to, to these four parts and kind of how I poured my heart out to God. All right, the very first step, of course, turn to prayer. So here's what I wrote. Heavenly Father, I come to you because you are the one who can truly help us in our time of difficulty. Then I start complaining. The whole COVID thing has me frustrated and at times in despair, especially as I try to pastor. I can't go into hospitals to visit anymore. Care groups are struggling to agree on how or even if to meet. Leadership meetings have been so difficult and even argumentative as we try to make decisions on face coverings. Some church members have chosen to leave Keystone over decisions we have made. 
There seems to be no solution that will satisfy everyone. Even the experts can't agree on the use of masks, social distancing, and the vaccine. Father, why are you delaying in ending this virus? That's my complaint. Now I'm going to ask boldly. I wrote this. Lord, I ask you to end this virus, supernaturally wipe it from the earth. And until you do, help our church stay united. Be with our care group leaders as they work for consensus in their groups. Help us to offer grace to others who are not like-minded with us. Help us to minister to those who cannot safely attend our in-person gatherings. Give us solutions that are beyond what our human minds can come up with. I asked boldly. Now I'm going to choose to trust. Lord, you are God. You are in control. None of this has happened outside of your decrees. Whether you choose to supernaturally end the virus or allow it to run its course, we trust you. We trust you with our church. Those who stay, those who come, Those who leave are all within your sovereign plan. We trust that you will empower empower us to find new ways to minister in what appears to be a new era. Thank you that we do not face this problem alone. In Christ's name, we confidently pray. Amen. You see, this isn't rocket science. It's just a heartfelt prayer. And I find that writing it out is really helpful, especially when we're going through something really tough. So please try it. Okay, let me wrap this up by moving to a takeaway for us. Uh, Anytime I teach, I I like to ask the question, so what? I've learned I need to get real with at least a few other people and that I need to get real with God. So what? Well, I want to give us a few minutes to think about what it is we might need to get real with someone about and then who that someone is. Is it a certain person or is it God or is it both? So what I'm going to do, we're just going to take uh, time right now. uh, There's going to be a little music in the background. We're going to take a few minutes. I want you to think about this. What do we need to get real about and with whom? And then after a couple minutes, I'll close this in prayer.
for any of us who did this exercise, searching our hearts, thinking back, what is it that you would want us to get real about? I pray that you've showed that you've shown us that, that we see where there's something, maybe, maybe many things that we are hiding, um, that we are not getting real about. So Father, I, I pray that, you've, that you have or will reveal those things to us. And then Father, you've created the church for us to be with one another, to fellowship with one another, to open up with one another, to care for one another. So I, I pray that, that in the church we can find um, at least someone that we can share with, that we can open up and be real with. So whatever it was that, that you brought to our mind, may we then go with that and, and share it um, with someone. And Father, uh, then I also pray if it's something that we haven't brought to you yet, that we would be motivated to do so. And if it's something significant, uh, maybe we need to, to write our own lament and to, and to pour out our heart to you, maybe even in, in writing. And so uh, if that's the case, uh, guide us. I pray this will not only bring glory to you, but it'll be therapeutic uh, to ourselves and uh, minister to ourselves as, as we uh, get real with you. As we do all this, may it bring you glory. And it's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.